Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 84 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Just a reminder, Joe K. Walsh has an octave mandolin course coming up on Peghead Nation. If you haven't signed up for Peghead Nation yet, you can go there now and get your first month for free if you go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER. Even if you're not an octave mandolin player, they have tons of courses. They got Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, obviously, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, and Chad Banning. Everything from theory and beginning bluegrass mandolin to uh, jam favorites, Monroe style, melodic, chord melody mandolin, and Irish mandolin. So check them out today at pegheadnation.com. Speaking of octave mandolins, by the way, Northfield Mandolins builds a beauty just like all their instruments. Go to their website, northfieldmandolins.com, and download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Ear Trumpet Labs, they have some sweet new-looking mics with bike parts that just came out. And uh, they've got one called The Prudence. That's my favorite Beatles song, Dear Prudence. So go check those pictures out on their Instagram. Uh, Ear Trumpet Labs, they hand build microphones in Portland. Their mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. And Ellis Mandolins, designed and built in Austin, Texas. And finally, my newest sponsor, Apollo Picks. Nick is a one-man band over there, man. He is crushing it. Um, I've been using those picks now for a couple weeks. I haven't gone back to my old ones. I love them. You should check them out. And there's no reason not to. You get free shipping and there's a 40-day trial period. So contact Nick at Apollo Picks and see what everybody is talking about. All right, let's get into it with Jake Workman. Please hit subscribe if you're listening to this on whatever platform you're listening to it on. If you get a chance, please leave a review. Go to Instagram and follow Mandolins of Beer. Same with Facebook. And uh, let's get into it Jake Workman. Jake is so good. He plays with Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder. Um, not only is he uh, just a world-class guitar player, he's a world-class mandolin player. And I did find some video footage of him playing a show with his band Cold Creek out of Utah. It's a live show, and so I play a little clip of it here. If you want to find that, go to mandolinsandbeer.com. Check it out there. Here's Jake Workman. All right, now I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Jake Workman. Jake, how you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Appreciate it. Oh, man, thank you for doing it, and thank you for carving the time out. You are uh, you are a busy cat. Um, we were just talking <laughs> a little bit about that. You do a lot of lessons. I uh, definitely, definitely do. That's been kind of my main gig for, for years, to tell you the truth, uh, since, man, since I was, I was, I started teaching when I was probably... 14 or 15 i just take some you know neighborhood kids when i was when i was a kid basically and uh uh do some teaching and then it just kind of developed over the years whether in person or online i've done a ton of both and uh busier busier than ever with that right now and 2020 only helped it i know that a lot of musicians kind of stopped working in 2020 and i just actually started working harder so i'm grateful for it and uh, it's a great gig it's a way to still play music and talk about music, which is a beautiful thing. And uh, even during times when performing isn't as, is uh, able to happen, 
unable to still hold a guitar or a mandolin or a banjo all day and uh, nerd out on on that stuff that I love. So it's great. <laughs> That's perfect. And and it's important to note that you just said guitar, mandolin, and banjo. So if anybody's listening wants to take a lesson on mul- you know <laughs> multiple instruments, uh, you offer them. So they should check it out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's at jakeworkman.com as well. I'll have links to all that on the uh, on the website and different things like that. But if people want to find you, that's the easiest way to do it. And you have a cool Instagram too. You've been posting those licks, kind of like lick challenges uh, <laughs> yeah. that are pretty sweet too. Yeah, well, I, I need to do some for mandolin now, I guess. Yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> it's funny, I originally, I mean, obviously know you from your guitar playing and um I, I remember seeing a video of you from Carter Vintage playing a, a mandolin, and I'm like, oh, no, you got to be kidding me. He's, he's killer at mandolin as well, huh? And um, and then even, you know, you play with, for people who aren't maybe familiar with you, you play with Ricky Skaggs, Kentucky Thunder, and uh, there's a video out there of you doing Pig in a Pen uh, playing mandolin live that somebody shot, and you just crush it, man. <laughs> Oh shoot! Yeah, thank you. I I had fun. Uh, yeah, there was a weekend where you know Ricky had a uh, a bicep tendon surgery. Uh, I think it was 2018. I want to say. Um, anyway, he had that surgery, and so he was out for three months. He'd just stand up there and sing. He called himself the Tony Bennett of bluegrass. You know, <laughs> he, he just he just stood up there with a microphone and sang, and uh, and I I I did I played some mandolin for him. It wasn't that way on every show for those three months. It's just, there was a particular weekend where he was having trouble finding a, a mandolin player, and we actually had an easier time getting a guitar player. So Clay Hess came and played guitar, and I stood next to Clay and played mandolin. And, uh, it was to me in my, in my mind, that was, that was so fun. And I mean, just so weird. It was surreal. I mean, here I am trying to play all Ricky Skaggs' mandolin parts, right? With him <laughs> standing next to me, you know, yeah. Clay, Clay's playing guitar on one side and Ricky standing on the other shoulder. And I'm sitting there playing the highway 40 blues solo. And Ricky's probably just, you know, shaking his head at all the problems with it. But <laughs> no, it, it, it turned out, it turned out good, but you know, he's, he's just, man, Ricky is just his mandolin playing is stank city. It's so good. And so from the heart and his tone is fat. I mean, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to step into somebody, somebody's shoes like that. I mean, it's hard to step into anybody else's shoes. Being yourself is always going to be your best. You're going to be your best mandolin player when you be yourself, you know? And, um, and so I can be me better than anybody, but man, I can't be Ricky better than Ricky. I mean, I'm not trying to necessarily. (laughs) I'm just trying to just do the the dang job some justice. And uh, so, but that was super fun. I'll tell you, that was, really fun. It was nerve wracking, but it was, it was, it was awesome. Uh, and there was another similar experience where Russ couldn't play banjo and we had a hard time getting banjo. So we did the exact same thing, got clay to play guitar and I played banjo for a weekend. And, um, and that was the same thing. It was fun, but it was like I'm stepping into Russ's shoes or Jim Mills, you know, it's like, man, these guys, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I am a banjo player, but I, I don't, I don't play in a band like Kentucky Thunder on banjo ever. And so all of a sudden I'm doing it and Anyway, it's the same same type of thing. Guitars, you know, always been kind of my home base, but I'm a secret closet player of these other ones to, uh, that you know a lot of people don't realize. And I do play them as much when I'm around the house, to be honest. But uh, I tend to only post about guitar. I kind of make guitar my theme, but I probably should branch it out and make it more obvious of what else I do. Can't hurt, that's for sure. <laughs> Not the way you play. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. That's uh, that's wild. And and those. Tempos, man. Those Skaggs live tempos are are not. They aren't slow. <laughs> I'm no. always like, always blown away. Um, you know, because I mean, he's he's 
getting up there in age, and he's still just shredding them at fast tempos, you know? It's amazing. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. And, and uh, you know, he got his he got his bicep tendon fixed up and everything, and he's playing as great as ever afterwards, and he is amazing. He'll, he loves to play and uh, keeps, those, keeps those tempos right where they've always been, you know? And he's still slaying them, so it's it's pretty awesome. He's 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 an inspiring musician. But yeah, the speed is is in that band is you know it's not something you just oh I'm just gonna casually and lazily get up there and kind of play a gig. It's like you kind of <laughs> you want to be on your game. It's it, in a in a weird way. There's some days where I'm completely up for it and I'm excited to get up there and rip it. Other days it's like oh man I'm tired and I just you know I'm ex- I usually the adrenaline will kick in and all will be well for pretty much any show, but still there's there's something there's sometimes i'm just kind of like i'm just it's just a tired day for whatever reason you know and uh and and you just you're not you don't feel up for 180 beats per minute you just some days <laughs> i just don't want to do that you know i just don't want to but but when you have a gig when you have a gig with ricky i mean if it's a, if it's a show day you're going to be playing at that tempo multiple times that night and you just better plan on it you know so so a good good amount of warm up backstage not there's like a sweet spot for me if i if i warm up for too long I'll, I'll hurt myself and, you know, I'll kind of spend too much energy. And then if I don't warm up at all, I could have issues. There's like this window of just, just kind of calibrating, you know, maybe warming up at a medium tempo, but never really playing full bore or save that energy for stage, get calibrated with your pick and your strings and let, you know, left hand and right hand tension, try and balance all that to where you're in your, your calibrated zone. But then, you know, I try and save most of the energy for stage um, but you know, I do love to play. And so I'll, I'll sometimes warm up for, I'll, I'll play for three hours before the show and then get up and play a two hour show. And it's like, you know, I shouldn't have played for so long before. Cause <laughs> if, it, if it fatigues you a little bit and, and, you know, come the middle of the show, you're just, you're out of energy. I mean, I, I'll always get the job done, but some days I, I do it with like, like, like 200 beats per minute is nothing. Other days it's like, wow, that was a lot of work. You know, I, it's hard to, and maybe to the listener, it's not, the, the difference is not noticeable, but it's definitely different and how I feel. And, uh, and it's the same on the mandolin though. I think in general, uh, playing faster on the mandolin, sometimes it might be just a hair easier in my book, just cause the strings have a higher tension. And, um, so, you know, if we're comparing kind of what I, what I do on the guitar to what I do on the mandolin, you know, I noticed that if I've played a lot of guitar and then I switch over to the mandolin, I find that I, I play faster sooner and more easily on the mandolin with the string tension. The strings just seem to pop. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to work them as hard where the guitar strings are a little spongier in comparison. They're longer and the lower strings are fatter. You know, there's, I find that when I'm, I have to really calibrate harder on the guitar than I do on the mandolin. So the guitar is always the most challenging instrument. It's the one I'm best at. I, if I had to choose, um, uh, I guess, but it's the one I, you know, feel the most at home on. But, um, I find that physically the mandolin, uh, has, has some, has some strengths going for it where it's, you know, it's easier for me to play it well, with a little less warm up for some reason. Yeah, a lot, a and, lot less uh, ground to travel too on that uh, left hand. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, less less stretching necessary, and then you know in the pick hand too, it's kind of like I don't know something about the double strings adding extra tension and just the short scale of, of that instrument. The, the 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 instrument speaks; it just kind of pops out. I can play it with a lighter touch and still get enough volume. Whereas I feel like the guitar, you kind of gotta massage that thing a little bit more, and it's it's not. Uh, some days it never really <laughs> clicks like I know it can. It's just it's a trick. It's a tricky instrument for me to wrangle. So anyway, but I I find a way to get it done. But yeah. And again, this is great stuff to hear from a person who's a killer player, 
and, you know, a pro on every level and have everybody's got those days where it's just like, whew, it is not happening oh. today. <laughs> Man, I'll, t- I'll tell you, it's like I, for as long as I've been playing and studying right hand technique and I still, you know, have frustrations. I still have days where I'm just like, oh, I suck, you know, just like, <laughs> it's like, and it's like, of course I don't suck, but man, that's what my brain and my heart tells me some days. And I'm just like, oh, I gotta, I gotta stop being, you know, I gotta stop being a downer on myself. The, the, anytime, anytime I have a bad day, I'll have a great day equally as good, you know, as the bad day was. So it's like, it's like, uh, it always comes back around, but there are some days where it's just like, man, yeah, either I'm tired or my heart's not into music because I do hear a lot of music. I play a lot of music. I teach a lot of music. It's like some days, maybe it's just that. It's just that my heart, need, I just need a little break and my heart's not into it. And so uh, taking a day off, even though, you know, you wouldn't think that would help you. It actually, it all the time does. So I, I need to take more breaks to tell you the truth. And uh, when, when I when I do take a break and come back, you know, I might have to warm up a little bit to get calibrated, but it will, uh, it, it'll feel more refreshed and your hands will have had a rest. So um, you know, uh, yeah, but there's, yeah, as much as I've played music, I still am working on my technique, trying to find ways to play more relaxed and require less warm up to get there. You know, yeah. like it's just kind of that calibrating of these acoustic instruments and your hands, uh, you know, they're not forgiving and it's not like an electric guitar where you can rely on as many hammer-ons and pull-offs <laughs> right. and, and, you know, like Effects. distortion and <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, so there's just ca- little little nuanced calibrations that need to happen to really play them well. And I know when I'm dialed in and I know when I'm not. And sound-wise, maybe the listener can hardly tell the difference. But, man, I can sure tell it with feel. And uh, that's, you know, that, that really uh, is going to factor into how creative and daring I'm willing to be. And I like being daring. I like playing you know, crazy stuff. But if I feel like my execution or my, my touch is just off, it's, it's easy to want to kind of shrivel up and just play in your comfort zone, just easy, basic stuff or nothing creative, nothing out of the ordinary, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'd rather, I'd rather be bold. I love the gigs where we're, we're all just kind of totally riding on adrenaline for whatever reason. It's just happened where we all kind of get in this zone and Ricky's being a goof and just all of a sudden he'll <laughs> one time, one time he just gave me a second solo back to back on on freaking bluegrass breakdown oh wow and he just i I was just getting done and it's a three section tune just blazing at 180 and (laughs) and i was just finishing up the five chord lick heading back to the g run on the very end of the solo ready to sign off and he's like take another one jake i'm just like are you freaking kidding me you know like like so i i I was already if i would have known i would have paced myself and played a little lighter and a little easier for that first solo and then kind of amped it up you know in the second solo but instead i I, I I went full bore that first solo thinking it was my only one like I normally would. And uh, anyway, so sometimes he gets in a weird mood where, and then stuff like that feeds the rest of the band and the rest of the show. We'll just, he'll do one goofy thing like that and then it'll turn us all on fire, man. We'll be like, oh, I, we don't know what's coming now. So we're all on our toes <laughs> and we're all playing, playing, just shredding it. And it's so, it's such a fun that's such a fun atmosphere. You're, you're warmed up, you're dialed in and you're letting things fly that you, and, and you don't have this, uh, care inside you. You, you care that it's going to be quality coming out hopefully, but you're also, there's like this lack of worry about, Oh, am I going to play clean enough or hit the right note? Or you kind of let go of that. And that's, that's a hard state to get to, but that's the most fun that music can be for me is you're, you're in a jam or a, a show or just playing by yourself. And you're just, you're just letting loose and executing well, but also hitting things you've never hit before. And that's a, that's like a, a surreal state that I can't reach every single day. But when I do, I know it. And I just, 
enjoy it because it's the best yeah and it seems like like ricky's the live stuff with ricky just looks like fun like it looks like the band's having fun oh man you know yeah it's it's so cool to see and i mean that environment that seems it's like the most creative when you can relax and you know like okay the boss is having fun too (laughs) makes it oh yeah making it easier and he does. He's, he loves music more than anybody I've ever met. And, uh, you know, he, he's after all these years, you'd think he's probably tired of it. But I'll, we'll be on the bus and uh, it'll be like 1 a.m. And, you know, a few of the, most of the guys have gone to bed by then. But sometimes I'm still up and just getting into bed. And he'll be in the back playing quietly, like in the in the back lounge of the bus playing. I'm like, go to bed, Ricky. I mean, my gosh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but he's 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 such a stud. He's such, he's such a good guy. And he just he loves the mandolin. He loves that the sound of these metal strings on these wooden instruments. He can't get enough of it. You can tell. And so he's uh yeah, he's the one that I, I would never take take credit for the, the 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 phrase stanky you know he he's always using that word and that's why on one of those lick videos i said that that stanky g bluegrass lick you know but stank you know you know we'll finish a song and it'll be in a show and if it if it just felt right and was in the pocket and grooved and had some some heart in it he'll he'll finish a song and be like man that had the stank on it you know like that's just his <laughs> that's one of that's one of that's one of ricky's phrases he's got a bunch of them but you know that's one that always resonates with me because that's that speaks to me exactly what i think good bluegrass music is is and should be it has the stank on it and uh you know but he's inspiring man he's uh he's always playing and loves it and uh always tinkering with his instruments and he'll do it he'll be late on the bus tired and he'll still be up trying to work on a fiddle tune he's writing or whatever you know yeah so it's pretty cool what do you um we talked a little bit about warm-ups there and the uh synchronizing the hands and getting them it, you know for instance on that mandolin gig what is something that you kind of did maybe to warm up or would be an example of how you warm up to get that sort of going to get ready to play at those speeds yeah you know I, it's funny because you'd think well to warm to play at 180 beats per minute you better you know, warm up at 180 beats per minute for at least part of your warm up, and that's not true in my book anymore. I mean, I've I've practiced enough just at home shredding at high tempos over the years. I don't I don't play that fast every day by any means now, but uh, when I need to call on it, you know, I, I can. Um, and uh, playing playing with Ricky, I mean, keeps me going with that. But when I'm home and just teaching and just playing myself, I don't play at that tempo. And when I'm warming up backstage, I don't necessarily try and play at that tempo. What I try and do is you know remind myself of the 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 basics what what how how tight am i holding my pick have i got the support on the pick that i need but but no more if i'm over squeezing it then i'm i'm igniting my forearm muscles into that grip which is slowing slowing me down my 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 arm back and forth motion the rotation motion that i you know that's kind of this looseness in the in the wrist and the forearm that you need to have those elements struggle when you're squeezing your pick too tight. So it's just, I'll, I'll work on, I'll think, I'll mentally think through kind of a checklist is what I do. And I, I hope that I always save myself enough time to just run down my checklist. And that's one of them pick tension. And then in the right hand, I'll be thinking about, okay, is my, is my shoulder dropped? Am I, you know, being relaxed, letting gravity do its thing to my body? Am I, is my arm kind of falling against the strings or am I forcing it against the strings? And I feel like it's kind of like the downstroke is more of like, there's some push that I'm giving it, but, but there's also gravity helping me. And as much as I can use outside elements to help me play the instruments and not force my you know muscles to do every little ounce of the work, you know, I'm going to be better if I'm, if I'm not doing that. So, you know, I'll just kind of think a few things through. And then in the left hand, I'll, I'll you want to push as hard as you need to, to get a clear note, but no more. And sometimes I'll, I'll do an exercise with myself where I'll slowly just press like a, like a, like I'll go through a scale or something, G major or whatever. 
and I'll, I'll feel each note and I'll do it really slow. And then I'll, I'll, I'll pinch a note and then I will try to see if, Hey, can I, can I hold that note and still get a clear note, but can I relax my forearm and just put all the workload in my fingertip as much as possible? And sure enough, I'm, I'm often pushing harder off the bat than I actually have to. So, uh, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll kind of feel my way through, you know, some left hand and some right hand and I'll, I'll, I'll place, I'll actually play slower for a few minutes. This is assuming I have a good, you know, <laughs> sure. 15, 20 minute warm up right, before right. we get on stage or whatever. But, um, sometimes it is more rushed and I just kind of play a couple things and go, you know, we've had that too. But if I get the chance to warm up, I try and play some things slowly and just feel, feel the calibrations from my pick to my fingers. And I don't, I don't know if you can hear this because it might sound muffled. But I don't know if you can hear that yep, or not. Totally. But, yep. But you know, I'll, I'll play something really slow. I'll just, I'll, I got my pick in my hand here and I'll, 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 uh, like I said, I'll squeeze it just as much as I need to, but no more. And, uh, let my hand kind of brush the way that I do. And then, you know, I'll just play like scales, just simply. Just stuff like that, you know, where I'm really just kind of calibrating to my instrument, getting to know it again. Every morning I have to get to know it. And it's 1030 here where I'm at in mountain time right now. So, you know, it's morning for me. I'll, I'll be a better player here in a couple hours. If I, you know, I do have a couple lessons today later and whatnot. And so, um, I'll, I'll, I warm up throughout the day and loosen up, but if I start with a kind of an easy going, just getting to know my instrument approach, uh, I'm always better. Um, but then, you know, I might play a couple fiddle tunes or I might play just a few runs, just kind of noodling and at various tempos, you know, I feel like the things that are, that are, if I, you know, if I don't warm up well, it probably meant that I, I didn't cover all my bases, but I'll, I'll start at a slow tempo and really, you know, push through the string. <laughs> a slow tempo feels different than no it feels different than that and so i'll warm up at both places but will i actually get to 180 in my warm-up i may very well not you know i honestly i don't know that i actually will i probably won't worry about it and i'll just say hey if i'm calibrated and feeling loose at one uh, at 80 beats per minute and then 110 and maybe 125 or so i'll let 180 happen with the adrenaline push that the, the live show will give me if i start forcing that i mean i can but it's like i'm gonna i, I don't need to there's no reason to to be honest i i, I think the more important warm-up is that you're calibrated to your instrument not that you've actually warmed up to 180 beats per minute you know so plus anyway if you're, I don't if you're know struggling if at 180 warming up it's going to be in your head probably when you hit stage you know, like, exactly. Oh, oh no, <laughs> exactly. No, that's exactly what happens. It's like, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to force. I'll play it. I'll play it. I'll play things that I don't even know I could play in a jam session. That's, that's hot or a great live show that I didn't know. But when you try and force, you know, greatness in the backstage, when you're not really ready to have that inspiration, then it is forced a lot of the time. I, I, you know, it, it, I don't have inspiration all day, every day to play really great things. Sometimes I just play something that's like, eh, if I was to redo that, I'd, I mean, I'd love to redo it. You know, it's like that happens every day where I play things I don't like at all. And, uh, or I'm totally ma make mistakes. I make mistakes every day. You know, I, I, I feel like maybe I shouldn't because I'm, I've, I've been a pro for way too long and studied this so long, but you know what, this stuff is hard and we're all human. We're all going to have, you know, that calibrating to do. And when I really dial into my instrument, I feel, I love it. I love how it feels when I'm, you know, not there. I, I just 
I'm, I'm taking mental steps first to get there, figuring out how my hands need to work and then just kind of dialing it in slowly. And then every day it does get there. Even, even if I wake up the stiffest I've ever been for whatever reason, just feeling really tight in my forearms and whatnot, I may think, yeah, I can already tell today's going to be a bad day. But you know what? If I just give myself a, a paced kind of warm up that, that goes through simple things, I can calibrate and get, get in my zone better than I think on, on just about any day. And that's been a, that's kind of been a win as of the last five years, because when I was younger, I didn't think too hard about my technique. Uh, I wished I would have, um, in the early days, but I didn't think about, it. I just kind of went and my, my hand went up and down and hit the strings, right? That's all it takes. But there's <laughs> right, like right. little thing, there's little things going on and your, your pick angle and, you know, kind of, I, I nerd out with my students on this stuff all the time and it's, there's a lot of details that go into it and it's, and I don't want to bore you all right now with that, but, I but love you know, there's the like nerdy stuff, buddy, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I think about all these things now that, 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 that help me kind of, you know, if there's a certain type of string change or a, you know, a cross picking pattern. And I kind of think about how the right hand should be angled and, and moving and how much arm versus how much wrist that ratio is sometimes one of those things that's tricky to calibrate and dial in just right. So it's, you know, I'll, I'll think about these things. And if I take the time to, uh, on any given day, even on my, what feels like is going to be a really awful playing day, if I can, uh, you know, take just a little bit of time to calibrate all this, even those days can warm up into being a good player. And like I say, back years ago, I didn't, I just kind of had off days and had on days and I never, I was frustrated on my off days, but I didn't know what to do. And now I'm kind of, I've learned how to really, I've, I've looked at my technique and I really know myself well enough that I can, I can kind of be my own doctor. So on an off day quote, you know, an off day, we all have them. I would, uh, I can at least, okay. I can at least assess what my problems are and, you know, change something physically to battle it. Right. And so that's been kind of a, a win because this, like I say, this music is hard and not every day plays the same. I wish they all were at my very best state. I know what that is. I wish I could attain it every single day in the same way. And uh, to the listener, they may not know any different, but I do. I know how I feel when I play, and I want to feel confident and in control, like I'm speaking English out of the mandolin, you know. And uh, and so I want to get there, and so I'm trying to, you know, mentally help me get there, and that's that's important. So warming up is a mental game too, I guess. Uh, it's kind of what I'm saying. That was a long answer to your question <laughs> no, about warming great, up, man. But, but it's a big it's a big mental game, and kind of kind of assessing yourself uh, along the way, not just. Oh, we're going to be playing at 180, so better crank the metronome to 180 and just start going at it. <laughs> right. It's like, well, yeah, there's there there is just the sheer physically, w- literally warming your body up. I get that, but there's also like calibrating and and ways to get there mentally and physically through the mental process that I think you know is uh is way more uh, honestly beneficial. And then save that adrenaline, save that physical, you know, putting out for for the for the stage, and and you'll be you'll be better off. What age did you pick up? Was guitar your first instrument? Yeah, I got a guitar for my 13th birthday, and um, and I played. I didn't know what bluegrass was at that time. It wasn't my goal was not to play bluegrass. Uh, in fact, my goal wasn't even to play the guitar. It was a surprise for my birthday. So it kind of my parents got me into it. Um, it's not like I, I loved music. I, I grew up, you know, just just kind of being a typical neighborhood kid, riding bikes and throwing footballs and whatever, and. Uh, and then uh, my my family, I had there's some piano players in my family that were all they're all you know kind of like more classically trained note reading musicians and and they're not I shouldn't even say musicians they're not out performing they would play piano at church or you know things like that and they and they love it and I love the piano as well but I never really learned the piano I kind of I did I did gymnastics when I was real real young and but I loved music though I loved I listened to all my all my uh, 
my dad had all these old CDs and records of like the Beatles and Boston and yeah, uh, the the Eagles and just all these different uh, different groups and uh, Elton John. I don't know whatever, just 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 classic rock music. And so I, I really loved that stuff. And uh, and so when I got a guitar, it just kind of made sense. Like my dad, my dad gave me a guitar for my birthday and and a, and a Beatles chord book. Oh, sweet. you know. And I was like, "Hey, man, that's 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 awesome." And I, I was I was kind of nervous because I was like, "Wow, with a guitar comes responsibility to practice and lessons." And they had me signed up with some lessons with the teacher, and I thought it was I was so excited, but I was nervous. I was like, "Man, this puts pressure on me to actually, you know, do something on a regular basis." Because then I always I always love my parents and how they supported me in anything I did, but they kind of put this one on me, you know, without <laughs> me really asking for it. So. I kind of was, I was wondering like, am I going to give up on this and not want to play, you know, but, but I did, I got into it and I played classic rock for a long time and just kind of learned all that stuff and learned some finger picking. It was kind of a little bit of everything, but it was definitely not bluegrass uh, until about a year and a half later, uh, my parents for a Christmas present got me a, just a, a, a Deering banjo and just kind of a middle of the road, not super expensive Deering banjo. And I and then, and, but again, they didn't, they didn't really even know what bluegrass was. They just knew that the banjo sounded cool. And, you know, <laughs> you can, you could, you could, yeah, you, you kind of hear it on old, you know, old music. It's just, they didn't really even know what it was. They wouldn't even know to call it bluegrass necessarily. And I didn't either, but I kind of got into it. I took lessons for that for a little while in Utah and, um, and just, but I, but to tell you the truth, my heart wasn't into it. I, I, I played bluegrass on a banjo, but I couldn't wait to get back to play rock on a guitar, you know? And, uh, and so, so it was just, I hadn't caught the fire, hadn't caught hold yet, but then I started going to some festivals and I went to grass Valley, California for the first time when I was probably, I guess I would have been 14, almost 15 maybe. And, uh, uh, so, and so I'd been playing banjo for about six months is all. And, um, and we went in the, to Grass Valley, California, and I saw all these bands. And then I saw, you know, like, I think it was Josh Williams playing uh, guitar with Rhonda Vincent. Oh, okay, yeah. It might have not been It might have not been that first Grass Valley. It might have been one, one, second or third one. But I, for the first time, really saw great guitar playing in bluegrass done live. And I was like, okay, guitar <laughs> is also, guitar is also awesome in bluegrass music. So from that point on, it was kind of like I, I, I saw the magic of bluegrass kind of through the guitar in a, in a weird way. And also just the jam sessions, and just the atmosphere. I started to like it more and more, but I, I didn't up front. And I also didn't have as much fun jamming on the banjo as I did when I started jamming on the guitar. I started finding like more my home um, and I continue to work on banjo. And I still actually I actually do love jamming on the banjo more now. Um, and the mandolin as well. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I got a guitar for my 13th birthday, you know, hit some festivals over the years growing up and it kind of got me into playing banjo, uh, and, and guitar and bluegrass. And then, um, there was a band in Utah in about 2007, uh, that I knew 
I knew them and I'd, I'd subbed in and played banjo for them before and, and maybe a little guitar. I can't remember, but, um, but they said, Hey, we're permanently losing our mandolin player at this time. And the band is called cold Creek. They're still a band. I still played with them even recently. Uh, just filling in. Oh, nice. Um, they're, they're a good little Utah based band and I like, like them all over a ton. They're all great people, but they, uh, in 2007, they were losing their mandolin player kind of permanently. And, uh, they said, we know you can pick guitar. Great. And we know you don't technically play mandolin or maybe even own one, which I didn't. And, uh, <laughs> but they said, they said, you can borrow our mandolin. The, the guitar player owned a, like a nice Collings mandolin at the time. Oh, nice. He said, you're welcome to borrow my mandolin. Like, just learn it, learn our songs. And that's all you need. You don't need to be a mandolin player. If you just can learn our songs and kind of just pick out mandolin parts. So I did. I said, all right, I'll be in your band. And I learned how to play mandolin. one of the premier premier bluegrass bands in utah and still are and i i thought man if i could play with those guys that'd be awesome but i would i would have rather done it on the guitar or the banjo not the mandolin but <laughs> but that was the that was the position available so i, I kind of learned mandolin and i didn't own one for a number of years I, I borrowed that that callings for a long time and then and then i did win a, a mandolin contest and i think i won like a weber a model it was fine it was okay but so i, I kind of practiced on that for a while and finally i took forever to get my own dang mandolin but in about 2010 or 11 i, I finally bought me an eastman a mandolin and then uh and that did good for a number of years and uh again i'm playing kind of all three instruments regularly at this point just trying to and I'm, I, I learned the mandolin language better and better at first i kind of just played it like a guitar Right, you know, and and then I kind of learned the mandolin lingo a little more, and I'm still learning the mandolin lingo. I, I, you know, I'd be lying to say I feel as good at that as I do playing guitar, but, um, but then I, uh, yeah, I sold that Eastman mandolin and bought a Stadler mandolin, and that's, it's you wouldn't know who he was yet because he hasn't built many mandolins. I have number one. Oh wow, uh, no his, kidding. And his name's Tom Stadler. He's he's a he was kind of a, a one of the highest up techs there at Carter Vintage. And then I, I think he's maybe still working with them a little, but he's he's doing his own work on the side. And he builds electric guitars and arch tops and and different things. But he tried his hand at a mandolin, and I kept, you know, it was hanging up on the wall at Carter's, and I kept passing it up, thinking, ah, it's it's it doesn't say Gibson or Gilchrist or <laughs> right. or whatever, you know. I, I kept looking at just about everything else, I, and I was really liking this Duff mandolin, at, you know, and I was you know considering it. And then one of the employees came in and said, "Man, you got to try Tom's mandolin." And I, I, I thought, all right, whatever, I'll try it out. I kept passing it up, you know, and I tried, I was like, dang it. And, I, and then I'm AB it with all my other, you know, current favorites on the wall. And I was like, shoot, it's, you know, and it had a, I had a, a, a price tag on it uh, that was, that was hefty. But since it was Tom, I was able to talk to him about it and he was able to come down a little bit for me. And, uh, and, and so I was getting 
yeah, it doesn't have the name on it that, that Gibson, you know, holds right now, but it may in the future, he's working on a new batch of mandolins as we speak. I understand. And I'm, I'm nervous to see how good they are. Then maybe they'll, maybe they'll even be, maybe they'll even be better than, than mine, but mine is his number one. And I absolutely love it. And it's, it stacks up with the best of the best of mandolins. As far as the tone department goes, whether the, whether the name on the headstock is familiar or not, doesn't matter to me. I bought it to play. Yeah. Dude, I mean, so, if somebody would have just gone by names on the headstocks in the eighties, they'd have bought a sour Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, most dude. likely, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, but so I, I thought, yeah, that, I mean, that taught me a lesson too. It's like, dang, you gotta, you know, if somebody says, yeah, I built this guitar. It's homemade build. You never know. You might find some freaking magic guitar or, or mandolin or whatever. Uh, cause there's, there's such a, such a, I don't know, a, a, an archive of great builders these days, people you've never heard of. Yeah. So, so when you're saying learning the, mo- uh, the mandolin vocabulary, what, what type of stuff were you listening to, to, uh, kind of get that under your fingers? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I listened to uh, Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder records all growing <laughs> up. That was my that was my favorite batch of recordings because I love traditional bluegrass most. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll listen I'll listen to newgrass revival or or different things that are a little more out there. But honestly, they don't grab me for near as long as just straight up, you know, Bill Monroe tunes, Flat and Scruggs. I love the Stanley Brothers, and so. But you have to admit that those old recordings they well they got the stank on them you know they're, <laughs> right. but but they're 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 sometimes a little messy or a little less high quality and the bass is not always very present it just depends on the one but so sometimes i listen to them and i'm i don't know i'm just like oh man what if this music was played in a little more modern era where you know where it's really clean and crisp and the sound is huge kind of like best of all worlds in a in a weird way and i always thought that the kentucky thunder records were like the pinnacle of exactly that old songs but done so perfectly maybe too perfectly you know sometimes a little raggedness is great and i love all of it but i know that when i was young the kentucky thunder records just and hearing cody kilby and sutton shred guitar with them hearing ricky so you know naturally because i listened to him for the guitar parts i was also hearing ricky's mandolin and loved his mandolin playing um which is kind of a you know a monroe hybrid sort of sound and um but then i was you know learning to pick like Tony Rice and Josh Williams on the guitar where it was a little more clean um, and not, not so tremolo based, which a guitar would be right. So it was kind of like I was coming to it from a guitar player. So I love the Monroe sound, but I also played it more single note, less tremolo uh, and, and that kind of style. So it was like, I listened to Skaggs. I listened to Adam Steffi. I listened to tons of guys, but it was my guitar playing that probably influenced it the most, not by choice, but just by natural accident. You know what I mean? Sure. And so, so I listened to Skaggs and, and loved that Monroe sound. Then I would listen to Steffi and I love that clean sound. You know, I'd listen to like I love the Lonesome River Band early recordings with Dan playing mandolin, oh, Dan yeah. Tominski. You know, I think that's that's great. And then you know, I 
I caught hold of Sierra Holes playing. And of course, Chris Thiele comes up everywhere and I would watch him for technique ideas. And, um, you know, so I've, I've listened to everybody and I kind of, I kind of dove into all of it. Um, but to tell you the truth, my kind of like when the banjo was new, it wasn't really, my heart wasn't into it. And when the mandolin was new, I wanted to get good enough to play in that band, but I it took me a while to actually dive in further than that, you know? And so I still feel like I'm, you know, playing catch up on the mandolin. I can physically have a nice touch on the mandolin, but I feel like I could be more fluent with my ideas like I am on the guitar uh, if I would study it even more and uh, practice it more. And um, so, but yeah, I kind of listened to all of it. And then at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's my own kind of guitar approach that kind of has transferred to the mandolin. The only difference is that I've made the left hand uh, find the, find the language more like a mandolin player would, but my right hand approach, my attack, my phrasing uh, is very similar to how I play on the guitar actually. Yeah, what I was going to say, so like if, if guitar players are thinking about getting mandolin, what are some things that you think kind of transfer over to the mandolin for you guitar wise that, that, you know, might help somebody out in that, in that front? Yeah, you bet. My mandolin playing, uh, like my right hand technique, for example, is no different than the guitar at all. Uh, I use the same pick. I use the same stance. I kind of brush my wrist. I don't do the open hand fingers on the pick guard thing. Um, I do, I close them up into a, like a loose fist, which seems to be kind of in this modern era of, you know, really high caliber playing. There's a lot of great players. seems like there's kind of been this movement from the old school Doc Watson, Tony Rice thing, uh, or even Adam Steffi with the pinky on the pit guard, you know, it's moved from that to more like Chris Steely, David Greer, um, where people have these closed hands. Cody Kilby has a closed hand uh, when he's playing fast at least. And, uh, I, I always loved Cody's playing and emulated that more than I emulated, uh, Brian Sutton's right hand, though. I love Brian's playing. It's just it, what felt more comfortable to me was closing the fingers up. But, um, so I've, I've had that approach on the guitar for years. I'm not trying to push hard on the bridge or plant. Uh, in one place, I try and make, make it more of a brushing, I would call it free floating, but there is contact, you know, there's a brushing on the strings or on the bridge pins, but I, then I just take that exact approach to the mandolin. I brush the backs of the strings behind the bridge, um, or maybe the top corner of the actual ebony bridge part, you know, just above the thumb wheel there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I kind of brush there a little bit, maybe, maybe my thumb, the base of my thumb is on the, the low G string just a little bit you know just kind of resting on it when i'm not playing that string of course and then um and it's very it's very similar so technique wise i think it's a great instrument to switch to from guitar it's probably probably the best you know the left hand is where it's going to be different because of the tuning um and so for guitar players you're going to be used to a lot of your positions and just naturally feeling right to do about three notes per string two or three notes per string well, the mandolin is going to be four notes per string a lot of that time, maybe three if it's a pentatonic kind of sound. But if it's a major scale or a blues scale or something that often has going to take going to put four notes on one string, that's just with the way the mandolin's tuned. That's what's going to happen. Um, so you either need uh, your pinky to get more involved on the mandolin, or you can stay down the neck where one of those four notes is an open string. So you could play. You know, like on a, on a guitar, if I was doing a G major scale, it'd be a, like three notes per string. Maybe one string would only have two notes on it. And it would just, so I, I can, I can use, you know, pointer middle pinky or pointer ring pinky likely, uh, for most of the, most of the patterns. But on a mandolin, I could do a G major scale. And if I use one of the strings being open, 
you know, one, two, three, four. That's all on one string, right? So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Okay, so, but if I was, that's, that was open, so it didn't feel that difficult. I was using an open string plus three fingers, but if I was trying to do a closed position scale, like A major, but not using open strings, you know, now I'm having to go pointer, middle, ring, pinky, pointer, you know, and every finger's getting used. You know, and every finger's getting used at that point, and so all of a sudden I'm realizing, dang, if I want to be <laughs> Chris Steely, <laughs> you watch his pinky. You know, you watch his pinky and and his control between his ring and his pinky finger, and they'll he'll do lines where you know the it goes middle pinky ring or whatever, and the pointer wasn't even used. Whereas on the guitar, you know, I, I rely on that pointer finger as like my posting pivoting finger so much, and um, on the mandolin sometimes. I mean, I try to do that, but then sometimes the line it actually makes it things harder you know at the end of the day it's like i just need to be brave enough to work out my pinky a little harder uh, on those up the neck closed positions on mandolin so that's one of the main things that the right hand like i said i'm not changing a whole lot but the left hand is where it gets a little a little crazier but now that i've gotten a touch on the mandolin and i think where the mandolin's you know it's tuned in fifths equally there's not that weird b string like the guitar you have you have you know you 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 can learn the left hand quicker than you can on a guitar probably if it, if it was you know for somebody new just trying to decide between which which instrument to learn the left hand on the mandolin will come easier uh, physically it has some tricks to it with the stretching and the uh, the pinky use up the neck but as far as the tuning and just getting to know your instrument and knowing where to put your fingers it's actually easier um, I have an easier time on the guitar just because I'm so stinking used to it but the mandolin you know it's very symmetric because it's tuned in fifths. Uh, all the way up so you can you know you get a lot of mileage out of a single lick you know i can take this d position around the fifth fret here and and i can do that exact formation on the next three strings up you know and here's there it is for b flat or or e or e down here and I know you can't see my fingers, but trust me, they're doing the same exact thing <laughs> right. just on different on different frets and maybe different strings, you know. So, um, you know, it, that that's what's cool about the mandolin is you can get a lot of mileage out of one lick because um, the tuning is symmetric. You can move it around, change strings. And so I find that to be uh, handy and, uh, you know, very useful. And, and when it comes to learning a new fiddle tune, I think some, you know, especially, I mean, fiddle is tuned the same as mandolin. So if it's a true fiddle tune that you're trying to learn, Learning them on a guitar and getting them accurate to the melody is sometimes trickier. The string changes don't feel right, you know, and the the picking motion is just not as natural as it would be on a mandolin because the bowing and the picking on the instruments that are mandolin and fiddle, where they're tuned the same, are going to be somewhat similar, similar enough that it, at least it makes sense and it's learnable. Um, so I find that learning it, if I was to learn a new fiddle tune, uh, sometimes learning it on the mandolin is easier at first than putting it on the guitar. Have you uh, have you picked up any tips from uh, from Ricky for mandolin playing that you've uh, that you've kind of seen either directly or that have just kind of worn into you from watching? Yeah, I mean he is all about meaty tone, and he'll play a solo that has he'll play fast solos with lots of notes, uh, but he'll play some solos where he just, he plays he'll just play he'll just play this one note at one point that just jabs out there with this beautiful round fat tone, and it meant more than you could ever play a thousand notes to get, you know, like it just, it was, it's amazing. And so he's, you know, through whether it's been by talking or just by watching, I mean, probably through osmosis is where I've learned most from Ricky. It's <laughs> sure. just stand, I stand right next to him. I'm, I'm 
literally right next to him every every show and you know when he leans up into his microphone his mandolin kind of leans and faces me just a hair so i can literally if i want to watch every detail of his playing every night i can and i do uh and so i i, I love that so i've studied i've learned I, there's no way i could learn you know i learned way more by just watching let's just put it that way but but you know it's all about tone for him so you know it, it, instead of playing a thousand notes that are kind of thin and choppy he'll get on his microphone and play that one note that's so round and lush and fat and then he'll 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 you know straddle that with things from a scale or from the melody of a tune but he'll hit he'll hit these accented notes every so often just a quarter note you know no upstroke just a big fat downstroke and it just means so much and that's that's you know he and that's what i'm talking about that's what he would call the stank it's the (laughs) attitude it's the attitude and the heart behind it and and less is more sometimes you know and and that's that's you know when i was especially even when i still when i joined the band i was still kind of i'm still i feel young but you know that's going to change one of these days but you know it's like i think that you know i'll often feel like hey i'm just going to shred down and play a bunch of notes and you know make this make the energy so high because of that in this song when really that's not what's required if you have a good rhythm section the energy is already high don't distract from that by playing 10,000 notes unless it really is going to gain you something. And oftentimes it does, but oftentimes it doesn't. And, and so sometimes just playing less is, is one of the, one of the lessons, you know, and uh, the way he, another thing that he's real good at that, that was one of the biggest things I struggled with when I had to do his job is, you know, playing fills, you know, just playing mandolin fills. He's, he'll do it while he's singing. Right. We'd play like, uh, <laughs> we'd play like, like, mother's only sleeping and it's in f and those when you listen to that recording uh his either he's 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 cut it twice either one you know the mandolin feels are just perfect and they're just placed perfectly and he'll do those in between him singing the song just patiently waiting for jesus to come the birds will be singing Mother lies sleeping. They will sing over as the grave sinks away. I left my old You know, and so, but I'm, a, I'm up there just trying to do them. I'm not even the one singing. I'm just, I have all the time in the world to kind of get ready for the <laughs> fill. And he, he, he knows how to put little simple things like that in the pocket without, you know, he just, it's so natural. It just oozes out of his hands. And I, obviously, it's his his mind and his hands are completely one and the same. They are connected, and that's I feel like there's a disconnect for me some days. I get I think too hard about something, and then it doesn't translate. Or I'm trying to feel the music and play from the heart only, but then I didn't warm up enough, or whatever. There's sometimes a disconnect where it just something doesn't execute. I feel like Ricky is that's what's so inspiring too. Is he'll he'll just know how to nail things the way he hears them, you know, right off the bat. And uh, so I think I've learned, you know to play from the heart, to play less, to play with tone, to have dynamic control. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of little things, you know, and then, and then Ricky, I I just love his personality and his, the way he is as a person, you know, I've learned a lot from him, you know, that way too. And just a lot of conversations in the back of the bus. He's such a, he's such a great guy. And he just, his, his passion for music that never dies, you know, is, is crazy because I, you know, I have days where I don't really want to listen to music. I'm, I, I, I want to drive down the road once in a while and have silence just so I can think, you know? <laughs> sure. And so I'm around music so much that sometimes a break is a healthy thing. So that's, I mean, and, and Ricky's around music a lot, but he still, he just thrives on it. He loves it. He's soaking it in. So his, his musical mind is always active and that's why he's so good. You know, that's, 
It's awesome. That's yeah, it is awesome. You also um you have a killer album that just came out called Landmark. Well, it just came out. It's a little bit older now. It was 2018, 2019? It was tw- the end of 2019. It's been out about a year and four months, three months. Yeah, I um uh, a buddy that I used to play with who used to live here in Charleston with me. Um just sent me a link with with one word. It said, "Dude." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, I got to listen to this." And I was like, "Oh, man. It's stellar." And you play mandolin oh, on you. one track on Charleston to Dublin. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Charleston, I, I do. I play. I play on that, but it's kind of you'll hear it in there. But it's I also play octave mandolin. I play both uh, on that track, and so there's an octave mandolin in there, uh, a tenor banjo, which is tuned like a mandolin. So there's a lot of mandoliny sort of lines going on in in that song. But it's since it's kind of an Irish themed song, it's totally not legit <laughs> Irish. I I would be I would be embarrassed to have any of those trad players over there. Uh, listen to my track they would just laugh at it and turn it off and uh but you flying from (laughs) charleston to dublin is that how you uh (laughs) no what it is is a lot of a lot of the names of the songs on the on landmark which the title of the record goes in in with this theme but a lot of those uh songs were written at random places it wasn't like i was trying to write a song in such and such city but wherever the song kind of came to fruition the most uh i would think about that and think hey uh, we had a day off. We were doing the Charleston. What what is the? There's a festival there. I can't remember. We played. We we, we played two days at this particular venue or festival in Charleston. Was it Spoleto? Yes, it was that. That's it. That was it. And uh, we had a uh, a day off in between. I think we played on a Tuesday and a Thursday. So I had all this time on that Wednesday, and I just that was that was where that song came to life the most. I, I'd been writing it, but a lot of the ideas came to me and developed that day um because i just had time to sit with it and it was it was great so a lot of the a lot of the names of the you know record whether whether obvious or hidden uh are uh are titles of locations you know we we got snowed out of a gig in hickory north carolina and it canceled just hours before the show because it snowed so hard and we drove we'd, we'd gotten all the way there and had our sound gear set up getting ready to sound check and the venue said we're we got to cancel tonight so i called that i called that song hickory snow That was where that one. I was sitting out in the the audience seats, right, writing a little bit more on that tune. I, again, I already had some ideas, but some of the some of the key moments that I, I was like, "Oh, that's cool. I'm going to use that," or whatever, you know, came to me sitting there. And we were in Hickory, and it, we got snowed out, so I called it Hickory Snow. And uh, so I, I think almost all the uh, so Charleston to Dublin is just me saying, 
you know, I wrote that song mostly in Charleston, North Carolina, but I, I love Irish music. And so I'm just, yeah, I'm imagining what if there was a flight from Charleston to Dublin? Cause I was channeling Dublin while I was sitting in Charleston, I guess. Uh, you know, I don't know, just, just goofy, but, uh, but yeah, so pretty much, pretty much every, every title of that record I could reference to a particular exact place that I was. And now, so you had Sierra Hull is also, uh, plays mandolin on the album. Yet, uh, Skaggs plays on a track. You play on a track. Sierra does. What are some things? Did you pick up any things from Sierra? Cause as you said, you know, you started hearing some of her playing and you're like, Ooh, this is, she's. Oh good. yeah. <laughs> so, well, obviously. Yeah. Sierra, Sierra's a monster. And I'm always, I'm always, uh, impressed with her ability to execute kind of that thing we were talking about earlier, finding, you know, waking up in the morning and then trying to get from your least warmed up state to your best playing get, you know, how can you fast forward that little amount of time? And Sierra, I mean, I don't see her when she plays off cause she probably wouldn't post it as, as none of us do. We always, <laughs> you know, in, Instagram is such a lie to be honest, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we're going to only post our best stuff. It's just the nature of it. You know, we should all be more honest and just literally post the first thing we play every morning. But here's the thing is that I bet if Sierra did that, it would still be awesome. That's what I'm impressed with is that, that she's, she's really has this ability to execute and execute well. And I love, I love her technique. I've talked to her about it a bunch, but you know, at the end of the day, she kind of says some of the same things like find what works for you and play from the heart, you know? And, uh, so, so there's so she plays completely different than Skaggs, but they have a similar approach that way. Um, she just got such a touch on the instrument, you know, and tone. She's big on tone. She doesn't play real hard in the studio. Um, there were some moments where she dug in for sure, um, but she did play kind of light, um, not not too light. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying kind of light, just to kind of find a really nice sweetness. You know, she knows how to find that that sweetness. If she was jamming at 3 a.m. at IBMA, she's probably going to be hitting it. And letting her in- instrument be a little more raspy and maybe even buzzy. I mean, it's hard to imagine her doing that, but but she could play harder. I've heard her play harder. We've we've jammed many times, and I've heard her play harder. And I love both both sounds. And so she would play harder on a few things, but in general, in the studio, she plays with just the right amount of touch to get a good tone, and that's what she wanted most. And then just her, you know, her phrasing. She's she tries to be creative with rhythm, and uh, it, she she she's all about letting what happens in the moment be what was spoken and what stays on the record, you know, um, maybe when she's doing her own record, she'd get more particular as we all do. You know, I got pretty like flustered at times on my playing. So I was like, gosh, this is my record. I feel like I could do better than I'm doing right now. You know, and it, <laughs> we, we were in the studio for hours and hours in that first day, you know, and it's kind of like, there's going to be moments where you're just, you need to rest for a second or whatever. You're not totally on your game. And so I had moments where I was like, man, I, hope I'm playing good enough for my own record, you know, but I don't want to go back and do a thousand overdubs to fix it, you know? And we all, we all had little things we would, we would touch up if we wanted to, but most of the record is, is, you know, got a live feel because it was played live, especially the rhythm tracks. You know, we might've gone back and touched up some solos. Stuart gave us some fiddle solos, some extras to kind of see if we wanted to use those or mix and match a couple licks from each if we had to. And Sierra did the same thing. You know, I definitely did a few things cause it was my record. I went and just polished a few spots or, or, uh, or just redid solos completely. You know, I had a, I had a couple of those where I just, I would, you know, I just want to come back another day and just do this one. You know, I just don't, I'm not feeling it today. And so I had that, you know, a little bit and, uh, anyway, it all came together, but Sierra, for the most part, you're hearing stuff that was still captured in, in, in a real way, not just a contrived, you know, solo with a lot of digital editing, but, uh, Sierra, Sierra was like, you know, let what happens happen. You're playing great. You know, don't, don't even worry about it. You're playing great. Just let, let, let what your what's on your heart right now be what's captured. And that's what makes it more timeless than if you pre-contrive it too much, you know? And so, and it's true, you know, that's, that's, 
that's why that record was awesome. And I still love my record before that with my wife deep into the heart. Cause, but a lot of those, you know, things, since it was me playing all the guitar, all the mandolin, all the banjo, a lot of those things were a little more, uh, I was sketching them out a little more thoroughly kind of and doing harmony parts. And I was really, it was, it was a more detailed record that way. It was less of a jam and more of me just getting in the studio and executing what I practiced, you know? So, um, the, the landmark CD was, there was more improvisation on all our parts. And uh, I'm sure I would, I would, you know, if I was playing on somebody else's record and just having fun and less stressed about be- it being my own record, you know, I'd, I wouldn't have been stressing a bit that day, but since it was my <laughs> record, you know, it's like, it's easy to kind of get, get down on yourself and really nitpick things that don't need to be nitpicked, you know? So we left, we left, there's some, there's some, there's some human humanness in that record if you listen for it. And it's, it's really tight and the rhythms there and groovy. And then there's a little bit of humanness here and there. And I love that. I think that's so, that's so awesome. So anyway um sierra was but she was just encouraging and and she's always uh you know played from the heart and always uh been about you know capturing that live performance whatever it whatever it happened whatever happens happens and that's why it's cool because it happened you know on the fly so good the album's incredible man people if people haven't gotten it they should definitely as soon as this interview is over go out and get it because it's they're they're gonna love it man (laughs) i appreciate it well it's it's i've I've said before to you know to people it's it's not just a guitar player's record it is it's like grabbing you know your favorite i mean i'm I'm not saying i'm somebody's favorite guitar player if i if i am i'm honored but uh but so many people would probably say sierra holds their favorite mandolin player and so many fiddle players would say stewart duncan's their favorite fiddle player it's like if you like any or banjo, man, Russ is such a great banjo player. It's like if you're any of those, there's plenty of playing by all the instruments. It's a pretty even kill. It wasn't just a guitar in your face the whole time. It was, yeah, guitar would often kick off a song, but not always, you know, but it would, it often would. And then, so it's kind of a guitar feature, I guess, but then man, everybody has plenty of playing on there. So it's a mandolin record. If you want it to be, there is a ton of great Sierra licks all through that thing and a ton of great Stewart licks. You know, so it's it's an all around record that anybody can enjoy, guitar players or non guitar players, or just people that don't even play music that just like music. You know, because the the melodies are not so complex that you can't jive with them. You know, they they make you feel good. As and I wrote them on that. I, I wrote tunes that maybe people would even want to jam, and that would be a that'd be cool to hear. So, that'd be awesome. Uh, anyway, write a tune that becomes a jam standard. Oh yeah, Heck man, yeah, man, exactly. that'd be the best. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Two more questions here for you, Jake. If you had to recommend one thing for 10 minutes for somebody to work on, what would you recommend? That's a good, that's a good question. And I, I agree with what you're saying. Sometimes if it's a really intentive, you know, uh, intentional practice for 10 minutes, that's better than noodling for an hour, you know? And so, you know, I, I always, I always say, you know, if you have the time, warm up, do some warm ups, do some exercise, some right hand cross picking, that calibrating, then work on new stuff, make goals that you're, you're practicing new things, whether extending, learning more melody of a song you haven't finished and learning some new licks, making up some new licks, whatever, just new stuff. And then in the third part of your practice, review old stuff uh, that you've, that, you know, so the, the, the quote new stuff from previous days, review those things or they won't stick. Um, anyway, so that's, that's an ideal practice session. But if you only have 10 minutes, you know, I mean, it, what I would do is I would target your weakness we all know what they are. That's, and I know what mine are and I, I target them every day. And, you know, some things are hard for me still. Uh, you would never know it, but I can feel it. And so I'll, I'll target those things. Um, it might be a left-hand thing involving the pinky. So maybe you just do some drills and do them slowly enough to where you can do it well and really calibrate the muscle memory. That's what this is all about. Playing bluegrass is too fast of a music 
to think as you're playing. You can't, <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. you, it's, 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 it's muscle memory based. And so all the, when I'm quote improvising, I'm playing, you know, things that I've played many times before licks that I know really well, I'm just kind of stringing them together, maybe in a different order. And that's what I call improvising. You know, there's a little bit of how you, how you connect the licks that comes into play, but you know, this is all about building muscle memory, this type of music and, and building muscle memory, hopefully on things that are, that are neat sounding, of course. So construct a lick, uh, and, 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 you know, work on it to where it becomes habit. So, you know, and you're going to have, you're going to find licks that are harder than others. So if you only have 10 minutes, target the lick or the motions, it could be right or left hand that are really, you're struggling with. Um, I, I, you know, one of, one of, uh, the things that I've been working harder on for me, cause I've never used them that much, but our rest strokes, I don't use rest strokes on the guitar that often. Uh, but I should maybe on the end of some solos on that final G run note, or just here and there, you know, that, that forward leaning pick slant that kind of would do a rest stroke that, that stance with my right hand is less comfortable than if I lean backwards more against my thumb. That's, that's kind of what I prefer so it's the same on the mandolin too you know so i might target like as i'm warming up i would i would target some licks that force me to lean forward where i'm slightly less comfortable it's getting more even these days but it's still not quite the same so get where get to that you know find your weakness and work on it if you only have 10 minutes that's what needs to be touched on you don't need to touch on you don't need to play everything you know you don't need to play salt creek again <laughs> you know <laughs> you need to you, you, you need to you know target a weakness pick a weakness and just work on it for 10 minutes and work on it slowly and really feel what you're feeling as you do it. That's, you know, your brain connecting to those fingers is what's building that muscle memory. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's what I would recommend. And we all have different weaknesses. So that's why I can't tell you a specific exercise because it's going to be different for everybody. But if you're targeting a weakness, that's all you need to do for those 10 minutes. And you'll get more out of that than if you just play your strengths for an hour. Exactly. That's a great one, man. And like you said, everybody knows their weakness. Everybody yep. knows it. You might not want to admit it, but you know it. <laughs> yeah, that's why That's why I don't, I don't have to answer that because you know what it is. Exactly. And then the last one, I'm going to make this a two-parter. Um, uh, so you're not a beer drinker, so I always have a, a, a separate last question here. And uh, it's two-parter. <laughs> so number one, if you were to pick up your mandolin now and play a fiddle tune, what fiddle tune would you play? Oh, shoot. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, uh, I guess, uh, gold rush or St. Anne's real or something like that. I mean, I'd probably do something, you know, that that's, that's comfortable for right now, but if I was targeting my weaknesses, that's a good question. What should I, what should I work on? I don't know. Something that has some cross picking or some odd fingerings, probably something that I don't even currently have in my muscle memory that I'd have to, I, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't make you sit through, you know, <laughs> right, watch, right. watching me battle through it. But, <laughs> right. but you know, like I, I, you know, when I first pick up the mandolin, you just kind of get calibrated. If I've, I'll do some right hand warmups and then I might play, I might just play a fiddle tune that I know. Yeah. Gold rush or yeah. Cool. Sands real comes to mind or, or, uh, I don't know. Soldier's joy. Sometimes I just noodle stuff that sounds like fiddle tunes. Like sometimes I'll just, actually that's probably what I do more is I'll, I'll, I'll make up something on the fly, literally just make up something. So I don't know if you're asking me to play a fiddle tune, but I could I could demo what I mean by that if you want. <laughs> oh yeah, if you want to, yeah. No, I was just asking. But if you, I mean, if you got a mandolin right there, buddy, that'd be great. I, I have one. Yeah. All yeah. right. I, I'm I'm I promise I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wing it. I'm yeah. just gonna choose the key of D. I'm just gonna choose the key of D. I'm just gonna wing something. Nice. Just because this this could suck. Honestly, this could suck. But who cares? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not worried about care. that. <laughs> I'm just gonna play. I'm just gonna play what feels like uh, a fiddle tune melody and try and get in the zone. So that's that's a, that's a good way to write. Is to just play. Can you play a fiddle tune on the fly? and make it sound like it was already written before when it wasn't. So I don't know. Let's see what happens here. 
Cool. I, yeah, man, that was great. I like it. Yeah, I, like I do it, too. But, but but what I what, yeah, would I go back and change something? I don't know. It, it was just what hit me at this exact moment, you know. And now I've got a song in my head that, you know, it's music. So sometimes I'm I don't want to always play the standards, even though I, I like I said I do a lot. But sometimes you just gotta fuel your heart at this exact moment and tomorrow i'll play something different maybe pick a different key and i don't know but that's a great exercise uh, to just and you can play it slower than that and i was i know i was pushing the tempo there at the end but uh anyway oh, no yeah. that's killer man it's not a beautiful that mandolin sounds beautiful over the phone <laughs> yeah it sounds good it sounds good and then the uh the, the second part to that is do you have a tune when you're playing with skags that you look forward to every night to play yeah that's a good uh good question i i love uh man i love a lot of them um, it depends on the mood. Sometimes I'm in the mood to play fast, like I've said, and so other times I'm completely not. And when I'm not, you know, I like the medium groovy ones. I love Crossville, the, the one he's he's played for years. It's on his instrumental record. I love Crossville. We just the reason I love it though is not because of the stuff that I do lead wise. It's just we groove hard on that. That's like a staple. You know, we'll play that usually like the fourth, I don't know, the third or fourth tune into the show. It's pretty often in the set list about there. And that's like, we get, we play the first few songs, kind of shake the nerves off if there are any and get kind of dialed into what kind of audience we're playing for. And then you hit Crossville and it's like, we, if we can lock in on that, we've, the rest of the show is in the bag. I feel like it's kind of a staple tune, but it's just, it's just a, I just love Ricky's instrumental writing. He always puts minor five chords in there. So he's got, he's got that one. He's got a new song that most of you probably haven't heard unless you've seen a live show of us in the last couple of years, uh, a new tune called ancient tones. It hasn't been recorded. Oh, no um, he has an, he, he has an album called ancient tones, right. but he has a tune, a tune now called ancient tones. Um, that uh, is really, really fun. It's just, yeah, super fun, neat tune. And, uh, uh, that one's kind of got a sort of a cross feel. I mean, it's got that, it's like that modal a sort of vibe. And so it, anyway, it's just really groovy and fun. And, uh, we've played that, uh, you know, many times, uh, <laughs> in the last couple of years, but we need to, we need to record the dang thing. And so that's another favorite. Uh, but honestly, I love hearing Ricky and Paul and Dennis sing. So we might do like, like uh, gone home, you know, just that, 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 uh, waltz gospel kind of sound. And I just play rhythm guitar on that. And I just, I just have such a ball doing that. So, you know, sometimes just hearing them sing is great as well. And I, I mean, all the time it's great, but the, I love those instrumentals that are just like medium tempo in a, just something fun to just sink into. Cause we all, you know, I just, I'm capo two playing out of G stuff that I do all the time. So it's just like, it's just like mashed potatoes, you know, it's just your comfort zone. And I love that. Um, though at the same time you want to stretch out of your comfort zone, but I mean, nothing feels better on stage than your comfort zone. That's just what you want to do. So I always have fun with that. Well, Jake, this has been awesome. Dude, you, you, I love all the nerdiness, the all the thoughts that goes into that's not my favorite. I love all that stuff. This is this has been great. So thank oh, you man. for taking the time again, carving it out of your schedule. I really do appreciate it, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Sorry I uh, took forever to uh, nail down. I've, it's been no, a busy few fine. months here, but uh, was glad to do it. Happy to happy to do it. 